Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Yesterday, Lori mentioned all of Kuan Yin's hands and eyes. Uh, Dogen liked to mention all these hands and eyes. And as we've talked about, Dogen's interest is not that there are hands and eyes, but that you can do something with your hands and with your eyes. Dogen really liked using koans. And in a way, a lot of people have talked, for those of you who know some of uh, Dogen's teachings in context, that he was quite critical of koans. But he also employed them in a way that was quite helpful. And um, one of the koans he talks about a lot, especially in one of his uh, fascicles, thank you, called um, Canon. So Canon is... um, Um, Kuan Yin when she goes to Japan Um, here uh, K-A-N-N-O-N or sometimes also Bosatsu which is the Bodhisattva of compassion Um, who sometimes is holding this vase and sometimes has all of these arms and each hand has an eye on it um I left an image of Avalokiteshvara on our on our um, altar, oh, okay. but I noticed that it's actually Tara who has oh. all the eyes. Uh-huh. Avalokiteshvara is holding a bunch of different items, the vase and the sword, uh-huh. but it's Tara who's actually got the Yeah, eyes. and then they come back again. Mm-hmm. Listen to so the. We can pass that around. Okay, if you sure. Want to see an image yeah. Yunyan asked Dawu, "How does the Bodhisattva of Great Compassion?" use so many hands and eyes. Do you notice just that first question, how different it is than how we would normally ask the question? Usually we would say, why? But this koan begins, how? How does she use so many hands and eyes? Dawu says, it's just like a person in the middle of the night reaching back in search of a pillow. Have you ever done this in the night? What could be more instinctive? When you're one with a movement, you just reach back, just like you're fixing your pillow. It's a good answer. How do you use your compassion? Well, it's so simple. It's just like waking up in the middle of the night to shift your pillow. 
and then going back again. How does the Bodhisattva of great compassion use so many hands and eyes? Dawu says, it's just like a person in the middle of the night reaching back in search of a pillow. Yunyan says, I understand. Dawu, really good Dharma brother, says, how do you understand it? It's not enough. Can you see why Dogen would like this so much? How do you understand it? Yunyan says, well, all over the body are hands and eyes. Isn't that what the image looks like? All over the body, the body is smeared with these tools, hands and eyes. Dao says, what you said is all right, but it's only 80% of it. What you said is okay, but it's just 80%, which is basically like saying, you've totally missed it, but in, in a kind way, because they're just brothers. Yunnan said, I'm like this, senior brother. It's older than I, I'm like this. I'm like this. I, I get this. I'm, I'm like, I have compassion like this. But how do you understand it? I love when this happens in a koan where the person's kind of getting it, and then they're so frustrated that they turn to the person challenging them and says, well, how do you understand it then? Or there's another cone we've worked with. Uh, how would you say it? Let's go through the whole thing again, and then I'll give you the punchline. How does the bodhisattva of great compassion use so many hands and eyes? It's just like a person in the middle of the night reaching back in search of a pillow. I understand. Yunyan says. How do you understand it? Dawu says. All over the body are hands and eyes. Dawu says, what you said is all right, but it's only 80% of it. Yunyan said, I'm like this, senior brother, but how do you understand it? Dawu says, throughout the body are hands and eyes. Did you catch the subtlety? What's the difference? Aha. The first response is all over the body are hands and eyes. And he's saying, no, no. That's only 80% of it. It's not what you see all over the body. And then he's asked, well, then how do you see it? How do you really see it? And he says, throughout the body our hands and eyes. Throughout the body are hands and eyes. And we could extrapolate that one of the reasons Dogen might have liked this so much is like what he was saying in the sutra that we've been studying. He says, fully engage body and mind. It's not that you have the right tattoo, but that the tattoo is inside the whole body. It's not the tattoo on the superficial body. It's that everything has been tattooed. 
by the teaching. And Dogen is just about to start talking about enlightenment, and he's going to change everything he said so far. So if you think you've been getting the gist of it, now he's about to flip the whole thing around. And it should also be noted that most commentators focus on this next section as being teachings for the layperson. That's teachings for us here in this room. That now when he starts talking about practice, he's actually talking about everything that we do, not just the formal meditation practice that we do. How do you use your body, your conduct, not just here when we're in these formal positions and doing your duty, but how, how do you really conduct yourself? And uh, I think sometimes when we're starting to practice, we learn a lot of practices that are just still a little superficial, like they're not in everything that we do. And so sometimes it feels like we're practicing, and sometimes it feels like we're, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what to say. You can fill in that. Sometimes we're, we're fully practicing, and sometimes we're... 80%. 80%. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to go too far into this koan because uh, I want to get back to the Genjo koan. Uh, if you want to f follow up on it, you can find it in Dogen's teaching in Case 105 in the Manasho Bogenzo, and you can also find it in Case 89 in the Blue Cliff Record. And Thomas Cleary is a good translator. Uh, the Blue Cliff Record, uh, Case 54 in the Book of Serenity would be the easiest way to find it. Case 89 in the Blue Cliff Record. Case 105 in the Mana Shobo Genzo. 105? Yeah. Slightly different versions of the same koan. And one of the things, if you read the commentary, that Dogen really liked focusing on is that piece about the night. It's like someone reaching back in the night for the pillow. Of all the commentators, nobody focuses on this except Dogen. That he thought that the most important part of this koan was the night. And again, I don't want to go too far into this, but I think you can get the image, right? It's not like someone reaching for something. It's that they're reaching back in darkness for the pillow. And uh, I think this image will kind of show through in the next part of this fascicle. So I would like to go through the first part of the fascicle, and then I want to work together as a group to go through the second part, if that's OK with you. So let's start by uh, reading it. <coughs> Enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. Does everybody remember that he's already talked about this? In section 8, unlike things and their reflection in the mirror and unlike the moon and its reflection in water. Do you remember this? Okay, so he's bringing it back, but he's flipping it. Enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. 
the moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. So here he's moving from an idea of enlightenment into a succinct description of what it's like for you and me. What is enlightenment like for us? How should we understand enlightenment? And I just want to add my own little interpretation here before we keep going, which is sometimes I feel like the reason why this section is here is because it helps us when we get discouraged. That I think sometimes when we read a lot about these great stories and about enlightenment, we can get discouraged that our practice doesn't measure up to these great teachings. And I think this is kind of meant as some encouragement to really say, well, what is enlightenment for us? Um, the moon that's in still water is the same as the moon in a puddle. The moon in the ocean is the same as the moon in your sweat. If you could look so closely at one bead of sweat, you could see the moon reflected. If you look inside a cup of still water, you could see the moon reflected. If you looked inside one of Kuan Yin's tears, given the right angle, you could see the moon reflected. The moon is not different depending on the size of the puddle. It's the same moon. And if it's reflected all broken up, or if it's reflected as a whole, it doesn't matter. And actually, you'll notice what's missing here is that Dogen does not talk about the moon as round. He doesn't talk about it being a sliver of moon. He doesn't say what shape it is. All he's saying is moon, moonness, is reflected equally no matter what size the mirror. So we have an analogy here, or a simile. But I don't think we can be so simple as saying, moon equals enlightenment. He's trying to say something else here. And I've been a little bit puzzled, actually, by this section. <clears throat> and one of the things that I came across is uh, some research that Enkyo Roshi did on this section. Because when you look at different translations, it's always the moon reflected on water. And to me, that's not different enough than section 8. It's too similar. And I noticed that in her research, her translation of this word, she shows that actually the word is not reflected. It's held or nestled. So enlightenment is like the moon nestled in the water. The water holds the moon. 
Your tears hold enlightenment. Every puddle holds enlightenment. Enlightenment is like something. So Dogen's trying to say enlightenment is like something. What's it like? It's like the way water holds the moon. It's like the way your tears hold the moon. Do you see the difference? I suppose this idea of a reflection. The, the moon just sits in the lake. Has anyone seen this on the, on, on, the, on the... You look out across the lake, and it doesn't matter if it's wavy on a clear night. It doesn't matter if it's all blown up or if it's completely still. Somehow the shape of the water can hold the moon. And again, it's not some perfect circle necessarily. It can be all split up. But the moon isn't getting wet. Uh, Aaron reminded me the other day that a good metaphor is a lie. Is that how it goes? Can you say it again? Oh, that this lie is this supreme way of telling the truth. Um, and he knows something about it, but the metaphor is only true if it's actually not true. So you could say, um, also to take that further, the, the moon that you see nestled in the water is also never the same moon. Every time you see the moon, it's different. Maybe enlightenment is something we intuit. And maybe our intuition of enlightenment is enough. Because what we think of as enlightenment is always shifting. Just like the pattern of the moon is always shifting in the conditions in which it's nestled. This is another example of intimacy. What can be more intimate than a wave holding the moon. It's a perfect kind of intimacy because the moon's not getting wet and the water is not breaking up the moon. Uh, we like to think of intimacy more as merger, don't you? I mean, I think when, you know, I, I, I wanted to call my a new book I'm writing um, The Intimacy of Yoga. And my editor met with the marketing group, and they came back, and they said that all the email said was, intimacy means sex. <laughs> you can't use intimacy. Because for most people, intimacy just means like that way you make love and you disappear into the other person or whatever. But that's not intimacy. That's, that's merger, you see. Intimacy is when there are two people who don't get lost in each other. If you get lost in the other person, you, you can't see them. And this is what's so nice about this notion of the moon in the water. And this is a brilliant line of Dogen here. The moon doesn't get wet. 
if the moon got wet, the metaphor wouldn't work. One commentator says, um, when Dogen talks about the moon in the water, this is from section eight, he wants to crush it. In other words, he wants to disappear the moon. He doesn't want you to think about the moon as a reflection, like a mirror. And now in this section, he's saying, because it's not about the reflection of the moon, that's just the image you have. It's about the way the moon sits in the water. You see? And he's playing with this imagery we all use, usually of the mirror, of the witness, of the moon as enlightenment. And he's kind of trying to bring them together in this really interesting way. Because in chapter eight, he's still talking about perception, right? Very much. No? Yeah, and maybe a little bit abstract. But now he's bringing it back again. But he's trying to look at it not from an abstract way, but from our perspective. What does enlightenment mean to you? It's for you to feel how the moon is held by the water without getting wet. Is that a picture of practicing non attachment? Like the moon doesn't get attached to the water because it doesn't get wet, and, and the water doesn't get attached to the moon because the water doesn't break. Uh huh. Yeah, that they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Michael? Yes. But here, in Timasley, even in sex, there is a point where there is a kind of cushion or semi-rosal, a little bit where it's not necessarily that you lose yourself and all the person, but there is a point that is no separation. Yes. So you interpret that if it's held by the water, there is a point that is there one. Yeah. yeah. And that it shifts, that the, the shape of the moon changes and the water changes. Yeah. I, I, you know, when you're saying that, I, I think about my grandmother. My, my mother's mother had enormous breasts, has enormous breasts. And... Um, when I was Arlen's age, what she used to do, I don't know how she did it exactly, but I would walk into her house and she would take the back of my head and she would put it between her breasts and then she would like hug the whole thing <laughs> together. So my face was right on her sternum bone and then the breasts were like on either side of my face. And she would hold, and it felt so good for about three seconds. And then it started feeling really bad. And she would just hold me there for a while. And uh, it was really awful. <laughs> and um, we want that fusion, but then we want to have a relationship with it. Yeah. And if you don't have a relationship with the fusion, you lose yourself. And then the other person can't see you because you've lost yourself. That's why it's called codependence, because the other person is then not relating to anybody, because the fusion's there, and they can't see you. And you're doing the same thing. And, um, yeah. 
I think it's a, that's a great thing to do in your late teens and early 20s. Fusion's great. Yeah, just short-term fusion, two or three in a row. Um, what is enlightenment? How is it helpful for you? And Dogen's giving us an answer here. It's so intimate that it's like the moon being held by the water. It's so intimate that it's like the moon being held by the water. And although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. Even in one drop of water. Why does he say that? Maybe he's also saying that enlightenment is not so big. Maybe it's also really small. Maybe it's easy to see a full moon in Lake Ontario when it's still. But do you see the moon reflected just in the cup of water on your bedstand by the window? Or in your tears? Maybe he's saying here that enlightenment is not so great. It's actually only an inch wide. <coughs> How big is enlightenment? Well, it's just an inch. Doesn't that make this a little more accessible to you? It's just really small. Yeah. When I read it, I, it was, I, I got it like opposite, but maybe enlightenment is big, but you don't need to be at a certain level of awareness. I mean, it's available to everybody. Yeah. It's available to the dewdrop. It's available to the cup of water is available to the ocean. So more like it's not the size of enlightenment, but the size of the person getting enlightened. Yes. Somebody told me about working in prison, and there was a prisoner who, when his mate was sleeping, he couldn't get an angle to see the moon. So he used to set up his cup of water in a way where he was on his top bunk and he would look down into the cup of water so he could see the moon. So he didn't disturb his mate, who could really see a direct one from his low bunk. So like Bodil saying, the moon's not changing shape. But we can see it in anything. Even in a puddle on Parliament Street, can you find your interconnectedness with everything in a small puddle on Parliament Street dripping air conditioner above a store door making a little puddle that water is the same water that makes you same stuff 
Or are you looking for something huge and missing the little puddles everywhere? Puddles of sweat and hard work and joy and dancing, of, of crying, of sweating, of working, of thinking. Enlightenment is all those things. He's also saying that the moon is nestled in every corner of your body. The moon is in you. The moon is in the heart of your students on their first day in your yoga class. In their first day of their class, fumbling around, dropping blocks, not knowing how to use the punch card system or whatever. That, it's in them also. It's in your interactions together. It's not in their future. It's contained right there in every one of their movements. They're not there to be enlightened. They're there because they're already enlightened. Dogen says you don't sit and meditate to get enlightened. You sit and meditate because you're enlightened. That meditation is actually an expression of your enlightenment. When I hear that, I think, what a relief that I don't have to sit and try and get enlightened, that I'm sitting because I'm enlightened. The moon is in your sad, drunkard neighbor, in your enemies, in your in one of your parents, maybe, who is sick, in another parent who is depressed, in another parent who is so happy that you can't stand it. What's that? For me, awareness was like before this explanation. Awareness was the process, and enlightenment was like the goal. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. And now you are putting like together. Enlightenment is awareness, and awareness is enlightenment. Uh huh. Okay. Definitely. It also makes sense, you know, in the sense of science, that everything is, you know, nature's quick, you know, DNA and molecules, and uh -huh. everything is made up by the same stuff. Uh-huh. Well, he pushes you one step further, because then he says, enlightenment does not divide you, just as the moon does not break the water. Enlightenment does not divide you. Enlightenment doesn't make you say, okay, this part of me is unenlightened, and this part of me is enlightened. This part of me is sentient, and this part of me is a Buddha. This part of me is chitta-vritti, and this other part of me is pure awareness. Enlightenment doesn't divide you. In other words, when you're not divided, 
you are just like the moon. The moon doesn't get divided by the water. The water does not get divided by the moon. The water for Kuan Yin is samsara. It's conditioned existence. She's balancing in conditioned existence. She's not on a boat. She's on a lotus flower, which is born out of the water, out of the mud, out of samsara. Her whole body is the vehicle. So I think that this sutra, or this text, is kind of like an, a kind of way of evoking this awareness in us. I, 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 like, I want to say thank you when I finish reading this. It's about being free, as free as a moon is in the water. The water is not holding the moon back. Are you doing this to the people who you love? Are you holding them back a little bit because you're, you're holding on a little bit? Are you scared maybe that uh, you won't be complete if you let them be free? Or that if you let them be free, they'll drift away? Do you think the water's going, I've got to make myself in just the right shape so that the moon will stay right here? Have you ever done this in a relationship before? You totally change the shape of yourself. I'm sure none of you have done that, but apparently this happens, <laughs> like mostly in the East End. That's why people in the West End, they just stop going to the East End. <laughs> because in the East End, a lot of people, like they totally change the shape of themselves. So their lovers will like them and not go. And then we hold them back and we hold ourselves back. You want to be so free that you can let the moon reflect anywhere in your body equally. The way that dew in the morning falls on everything equally. The way that uh, smoke from a cigarette just streams up. Just watch the smoke trailing off a cigarette or Lori's incense in the morning. And that smoke is, it's free. It's free. Or like those little bubbles in a cappuccino, when the, they get the milk so velvety, and you look down, and it's not exploding, but they, they pop so slow. Each one. To, this, is, this is freedom. Dogen didn't write about cappuccino, and he didn't write about smoking. But he did. He did. He's talking about lay practice. Smoke rising from your cigarette or from the incense. Um, Ikkyu, one of my favorite poets, um, he hated rules. He wrote a lot of poems about his penis. I highly recommend reading Ikkyu if you want to learn about his penis. This is not a poem on that subject. But I want you to hear this poem anyways. <laughs> Studying texts and stiff meditation can make you lose your original mind. 
A solitary tune by a fisherman, though, can be an invaluable treasure. Dusk rain on the river, the moon peeking in and out of the clouds, elegant beyond words, he chants his songs night after night. Dogen, I mean, uh, Ikkyu didn't like being in a monastery, so he hung out and drank with fishermen. And he wrote so many poems about how the true chants were the ones that fishermen sang alone in the night. It's very beautiful. Bob Dylan was asked, what would make you most um, proud of your life after you die? Would it be how many hit songs you had, how many records you made? He said, I would be most happy if some person in a field doing some agricultural work was humming one of my songs and didn't know where it came from. That the song was good enough that it was just in you. And it didn't matter who wrote it. Because anybody who writes songs knows that you don't write them, really. Sometimes my left hand gets jealous that my right hand has written four or five books. And it starts to feel a little funny, like, why have you written all the books? I want to have a chance to write the books also. And my right hand has to remind my left hand that I didn't write the books. They just came through. I type with one finger on my right hand. Yeah, I don't know how to type. So I type with one finger, and I've done five books like that. Yes, maybe that's what's going on. <clears throat> um, one more poem. Ryokan. Ryokan was a very poor uh, uh, practitioner. He writes, My legacy, what will it be? This is, starting a poem like this? Could you imagine if someone said, please write a short poem about your legacy? <laughs> it's like he was given a little exercise here. My legacy, what will it be? Flowers in spring, the cuckoo in summer, and the crimson maples of autumn. My legacy, what does he leave? Not a trace. This is intimacy, not a trace left of me needing to come back and own it. But yet, not a disappearance of me either. Like marshmallow in vanilla ice cream. You can hardly tell where the vanilla ends and the marshmallow starts. And yet, 
if you pay attention, you can really feel where the vanilla ends and the marshmallow begins. And then when you're fully in that, you can't tell anymore, which is why it tastes so good. But vanilla and marshmallow are not the same thing. You can't roast vanilla ice cream. Although I hear people are trying to deep fry ice cream. Old friends are like this. They're only old friends, and they only last a long time, because we know where we end and they start. But yet, somehow, they're so deep inside us, like marshmallow in vanilla ice cream, that we don't really know where they end and we start. But yet, they do end somewhere and we start somewhere. That if I eat the vanilla ice cream, they don't fill up with marshmallow. I don't know if it's from one of your books or it's somewhere else, but it's like a sensei and it says, uh, before I got enlightened, you got enlightened, I carried wood. After I got enlightened, I carried wood. It's exactly what Dogen is saying. Um, I was so inspired by Rio Pong that I wrote a little poem. I, I tried to think, what would be the legacy when this intensive ends? So here's my little response. What's left of this July? When August comes, the woman at the payphone at noon yelling at God, the man on crutches at the beer store yelling back, I'm God, why are you still on the phone? What's left of July? Cleaning the cushions, Recycling poems, digital dharma, a few images, and this stubborn heart still clinging to the morning bells. In August, you'll be gone somewhere else, and I'll be still hearing Michael hitting the bell, Ronit hitting the bell. Even now, when Ronit hits the bell, I still think of the first time she hit the bell, and, and it was mine. <laughs> and like, I just get so joyful. Because the rituals are designed, so you make a mistake, and you fail. Hundreds and hundreds of failures. And this is what Ryo Khan's doing, and Ikkyu's doing, and Dogen's doing, and you're doing, is we're trying to take this huge idea of enlightenment and reduce it so it's just an inch wide. And then we look at our whole life just in inches, really, really small. And what are we doing in our yoga practice? We're taking the body down into small, 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 small little inches and then looking so closely into them that they open up again into everything, rather than trying to reach Godhead. See?
just these little puddles everywhere. Doesn't matter what they're made out of. Let's stop here, because I said I was only going to teach the first paragraph. And then what I want to do is work together, because it actually gets hard now. Dogen is about to take this image we're holding onto and just completely blow it apart. So I'd like to stop here, have a short break, and then I want to work together in groups trying to figure out this section number 16. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Each reflection, however long or short its duration, manifests the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitless of the moonlight in the sky. I don't understand the word vastness. Is there another word? Largeness. Oh. 